gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. Oh yeah, boy howdy have we got an <laughs> absolute doozy for you tonight. It's a big one. If you're um, not comfortable, get comfortable. Yeah, yeah, you need to sit down for this uh, because today... Very timely. They did it because Home Brewed's on tonight, which is really kind of them. Yeah, Tony Burke is a big fan. So yeah. we thought I'll, I'll, I'll announce it today so the Home Brewed boys can sort of dissect it tonight. That's right. Tony Burke, of course, the Federal Arts Minister. He's unveiled the government's new national cultural policy. Now, this is the first significant framework of its kind in nearly a decade. Uh, the policy is called Revive. It will invest $286 million in the sector over four years. It includes new investment of $241 million with an additional $45 million redirected from a COVID insurance insurance scheme, which we did touch on that COVID insurance scheme on a previous music news when it was announced just months just or years search ago. Search it on our podcast. Yeah, yeah. Have a look for it. It'll be there or on homebrewed.au. That's right. We can also catch the podcast plus other stuff. Uh, but this new policy called Revive, you might be thinking, Eamon, why do we need it? Well, 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 you could actually answer that question by going back on homebrewed.au and <laughs> listening to some previous podcasts. But um, in a nutshell, the, and, and I want to like say at the outset here um, that that like we are not letting our, uh, our personal political persuasions color how we represent this. But in a nutshell, the previous Liberal government was really, really bad for the arts and this new government is trying to change direction with that. Political persuasions aside, just looking at objectively funding policy decisions, um, it is no secret that they really did not make much of, of, of the arts in this country in any way, shape or form, um, as evidenced by them lumping it into the infrastructure portfolio pretty early on in the piece. But um, There was almost no funding until they were required to apply funding, by which point we we're already too far into the pandemic yeah. for it to have a real significant impact on reducing the stress financially on, on all, all of those in the live sector in particular. But again, all of that is in a previous podcast. We are talking about the new policy, the new revive policy. And then, you know, it's as you sort of touched on there, come in the wake of years of funding cuts for the arts and creative industries. Yeah, yeah. So um, the sector itself is worth $17 billion, which I think a lot of people don't realise. That that's quite significant um, in terms of Australian industries and you'd be surprised at which industries um, that rank a lot lower in terms of what they're worth get a lot more attention. Um, now, between uh, during the COVID, uh, the live entertainment industry declined 69% um, and it lost $1.4 billion in revenue. Between 2013 and 2022, the federal arts portfolio contracted, funding stagnated, um, and under the previous government, uh, there was $52 million axed from the portfolio in 2015, $104 million divested from the Australia Council, um, and all of this kind of left the sector. It was a perfect storm when COVID rolled around because it had already been um, struggling and dealing with a lot of funding cuts and a lack of attention. Like we said, this lumping it in used to be a dedicated portfolio in the government. It was lumped into transport infrastructure, like something, something and in stuff, the arts, yeah. you know what I mean? Just like, you know, designated to someone else who had other stuff to worry about. Um, and as a result, uh, just lost a lot of focus and, and attention over the years. COVID rolled around. We saw um, immediate schemes for so many other industries rolled out to support people affected. Um, arts 
workers particularly were some of the most vulnerable due to the nature of the work. It's contract, it's ABN, it's, you know, you don't have any employment protections as it is. Um, and so these these workers were already vulnerable uh, and they suffered. Um, they were eventually dragged, kicking and screaming to release a policy. By that point, it was too little too late. Um, we've done a whole lot of chatting about this on previous podcasts. If you do want to listen to it, it was just simply nowhere near enough for the scale of the $17 billion industry, um, what was announced to support them. And it was too late. So many people had um, already suffered. And what we saw, which is, you know, what we've spoken about a lot on this show is we saw a lot of people leave the industry entirely. And this is really, really bad. Uh, much in the same way we have so many of our PhD graduates leave the country once they uh, get their doctorate and then take their great knowledge elsewhere, people left the industry with their really good knowledge and their amazing skills because they couldn't make a buck, they couldn't survive out of it. And what that means is we've just had this complete exodus of really, really talented people from our arts industry. Um, and why does the arts matter? Because it's what everybody loves it's kind of it's kind of the essence of life generally it's the reason we're here in the studio right now it's the reason you probably turn your radio station on every day um it's the reason you like want to paint your wall a different color it's this kind of intrinsic part of being a human that wants to create and consume creation so it's the reason we go to galleries it's the reason yeah. we go to concerts it's the reason even you can be argued no maybe not sporting events in a sense but uh, sport is very different to art but the same mentality of going to something and enjoying watching something or enjoying being creative you know whether you're writing whether you're drawing painting making music it's all part of cultural happiness yeah really and 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 that in turn and there's you know a billion studies that can illustrate this better than me that it's very very important to our happiness and that's why when covid came around and we were all locked inside a lot of us did turn to art in some form or another whether it was making it ourselves or just consuming it more all of these kind of things but anyway so the scene is the sector has been neglected um, and actively uh, slowly defunded covid came around and just took an absolute wrecking ball to what remained and so we've been in this position now where it, it needs another look. It needs a whole other look in. And this was a, a pretty key part of what Labor did take to the election. Um, and this policy as well, I mentioned at the top, it's called Revive. It's a pretty good hint as to what <laughs> this natural cultural policy is all about. There are five pillars to this policy. First Nations First is one of them. A place for every story is another the centrality of the artist, strong institutions, and reaching the audience. They are the five pillars of this policy. Yes, it, it is. Um, it's a, it's a very comprehensive, this. Um, and it's basically the point of this in this announcement today was to establish the priorities for the federal government um, and then organise those priorities into ways that they can tangibly go and then do things. Um, it actually builds on uh, a previous po- policy from the previous Labor government. Uh, it was under the Gillard government. Um, it was called the Creative Australia document. That was scrapped by the coalition. And no one has, since it was scrapped, no one has ever sought to fill that void. Um, to put this together, and this was a really, really big criticism um, of previous government federally and also a lot of state governments um, even before COVID in terms of making decisions about the arts. Uh, that there was very little consultation with the sector. And 
this was something that was unique to the arts. You would rarely see significant policy decisions made without consulting farmers, say, if it was to do with farming. But with the arts, we saw consistently they'd just make changes on the fly without even speaking to the industry. Um, this hasn't been the case with this one. The government has undertaken a six-month consultation process, um, which took him around the country. Um, they had thousands of submissions from various stakeholders, um, and they got together an advisory group which included stakeholders who then went and reviewed a lot of these submissions too. So it was very much uh, done in lockstep and in consultation with the sector itself. Um, so if we want to get to the nitty gritty, there's a lot here. We won't go through every single point, um, but what is in the plan? $12.9 million digital lending rights scheme, which is going to see authors, illustrators, editors earn money when their e-books and audio books are borrowed from a library. Now, this is important because if you were to walk into a library uh, at Kingcumber and borrow something, the, art, the author um, or artist or whatever you're borrowing gets something. But if you were to do that online in Australia, they get nothing from it. Um, so all the money goes towards the person, the library online that holds it. Which is... Mental. That would be like going into JB Hi-Fi and purchasing a, a CD or a vinyl, but if you go on Spotify and stream it, Spotify get the revenue and not musicians, exactly. which I mean the split is almost that's what it is anyway with Spotify, but that would be like in this instance, that's basically the equivalent. You stream a music online or you go to YouTube and watch the music video, the artists don't get anything from that as opposed to you buying it, the physical copy or even Borrow, how would you borrow music? I don't know how that works. I'm trying to make yeah, the equivalency yeah. there. Uh, with, but it, it is it's with books pretty and music. much drawing the parallel. I mean, with the rate they get paid per stream, it's more or less the same yeah. thing, unfortunately. But, um, you know, yeah, previously they got nothing. Um, uh, there's also in the legislation to protect copyright of Indigenous artists. And obviously that was one of the five pillars. First Nations first. Um, indigenous artists is where they started with this and they see it as being very central to the plan. This includes blocking the sale of fake Indigenous art merchandise and souvenirs, which we've seen a lot of um, where people mm. can think they're supporting Indigenous artists and, in fact, they are not. Um, they are also undertaking to pursue rapid, repatri repatriation of Australia's First Nations ancestors' artefacts from overseas. So this is stuff probably taken uh, in, you know, the real colonial era. Um and they're also going to establish a national resting place, which is dedicated to the care of ancestors returned from overseas. Um, there's languages, policy, partnerships, um, which uh, support 60 primary schools to teach local First Nations languages and cultural knowledge. Um, 11.8 million extra funding for the National Gallery of Australia um, for a pilot program to tour its collection of galleries around Australia. I was actually in the National Gallery of Australia yesterday. Um, Were you? Yes, I was <laughs> in Canberra. And it was it is amazing some of the artwork in there. Really, really cool. Uh, like just, just beautiful stuff, huge history, a lot of new stuff as well. Very, very cool. So that's awesome. Um, there is $19 million to commission new Australian works. Uh, the extension of resale royalties for visual art to cover international sales, um, increasing funding to regional artists uh, through the Regional Arts Fund, continuation of Festivals Australia, which helps fund regional festivals much like the Next Exit Festival yeah. um, that we saw, uh, much like any of the festivals, like... Uh, Rolling sets. That's the one. I was there. Rolling sets, <laughs> <laughs> um, which came to the Central Coast a couple of months ago. Yeah. Those I, kind of things. I, I, obviously, you know, the big city festivals are always going to be popular, but trying to make regional music festivals more popular is such a fantastic way 
to grow your culture. I mean, we see it in all sorts of, whether it's theatre, whether it's sport, whether it's in writing, whatever it is, anything that's regional always seems to have a much stronger cultural connection than, say, a big city. And that's not in every case, obviously. Obviously, big cities still have a purpose. There's a larger population, more people, etc. But once you get to a regional area and the community can really connect and build a culture in that sort of sense, you really that like if you do that across multiple regional communities across the country, that's when you see on a national level, everything will rise. I mean, if Rolling Sets Festival was at the entrance earlier, how many Central Coast people would have been inspired and might start their own music project? That would then create a better and more competitive Central Coast music scene, which is already fantastic. But you have more people there representing the Central Coast. You then have more people, say, Newcastle or out in Cessnock or wherever out in more regional communities going, oh, they're doing that over there. Let's do that here and suddenly have all these pockets around the nation which really just lifts the national standard, the national culture, and it just becomes a really good flow and effect. So I think that's a really important point of this policy. Yeah, definitely. Um, it is really important that we do not just have everything concentrated in cities, which often happens and is often criticism of governments at all levels. So um, it is Because really it's easy to, to do. It's it is. easy to go. This is where the biggest population is. Most people are here. It's easier to throw money at something like this and have a high chance of success as opposed to going regional and it's a much bigger risk. So I can understand why big cities get a lot of attention, but regional, it's, I mean, it's probably a bit of bias seeing that we do <laughs> live in a regional area or greater Sydney, depending on how you <laughs> define it. But being in a regional area, I just, I know, really love feeling that community connection at events that we've been part of, a few of them as well, and just seeing the community get behind an event really just, I don't know, warms the heart and you can really feel the impact it has on a regional community. Yeah, and, and as, as we've spoken about before, this, you know, obviously extends beyond just, okay, we're helping an event go ahead. There's flow on effects, like you said, inspiring artists, bringing communities together, creating new traditions. Um, you know, you know what I mean? Just I introducing people to new things. It's all slowly builds the history of a place and the culture of a place. And like, this is, you know, really, really important. This is kind of what uh, like we will be remembered for and how we will define ourselves and measure ourselves in years to come. Um, so it's all really interesting. I think part of this pre pre uh, program as well, or the policy, is uh, introducing a minimum payment for artists played at government-supported gigs. Now, I'm not 100% on the details of this, but State Labor are proposing something similar if they're to win the New South Wales election where $250 will go to, as a minimum, to go to any artist that plays at a gig that is supported in any way by the government. Um, this is a really important one too, just getting a little bit of minimum wage thresholds in um, for artists because they are historically um, criminally underpaid. So that's kind of a short and sweet of what's in the plan. There are a couple of more inclusions that we should touch on, uh, including the National Arts and Disability Plan to remove barriers to working in the creative industries for people with disabilities, which is another crucial part of the whole creative arts industries. And Ability Fest by Dylan Alcott is another fantastic example of that as well. Yes, uh, that one is coming up 
soonish. I don't know when. I was just hearing about it today. <laughs> but yes, it is really, really important uh, that we support. 25th of March. There you go, 25th of March. Thank in Melbourne. You. Thank you. Um, yeah, really, really important that we support people with disabilities and, and allowing them to participate in the arts and culture sector of uh, Australia just as easily as it would be for anybody else. Um, so that's a, a good part of the plan as well. Um, there's pilot funding for art and music therapy programs too, which is really, really interesting um, and a whole lot more. One thing that's been flagged, though we don't know 100% what it'll look like, is quotas for Australian content when it comes to film and television. Um, I would love, based on my rant that you may have heard earlier in the show, <laughs> to see quotas for radio, especially for Australian content, revisited and at least the enforcement of those actually um, undertaken. But um, we'll have to see what happens there. Now, in terms of what's not in the plan... Um, Better wages generally for artists were strongly advocated. We've seen internationally uh, the introduction of like a universal basic income for artists. So if you work in the art sector, you're guaranteed to get this amount of money coming in each week because, you know, obviously artists are often li uh, living paycheck to paycheck despite contributing uh, in one way or another importantly to culture generally in their country. So we haven't seen that. Um, they were also talking about a legislated award for artists and writers and tax-free status for art and liter literary prizes. So, you know, when they win something, they don't have to pay tax on it. Um, so they haven't said no to that, but today's announcement did make a limited commitment to include consideration of minimum wages for the sector as part of a broader review of awards that they're going to be undertaking anyway. Um, quotas as I said, we're part, but uh, we're going to have to wait to see specifically what those details look like. Uh, there were also calls for a targeted skills packages for arts workers, so subsidised traineeships, um, industry-led stuff, investment in short-term courses, all of that. And I think that's probably a really crucial thing that has been missing because, as we mentioned at the top of the music news, so many amazingly skilled people within the arts sector and the live music sector in particular have just gone they've been lost to the sector because well, it wasn't financially viable people need to earn a living people have mortgages to pay people have families to feed so they had to find a secure job and they've just gone into different job descriptions whether that be accounting or they started carpentry or you know just completely different career shifts away from the live music sector and you know arts in general so having an actual targeted skills package with subsidized traineeships and people who are high up and very knowledgeable within the industry leading these initiatives and short-term courses would be a fantastic idea to try and help regenerate some of what was lost yeah it really would be um and i suppose none of these things have been ruled out um there was also talk of keeping the national insurance scheme for live events that we did see introduce begrudgingly and belatedly, um, but eventually by the previous <laughs> government uh, in one form or another. So that hasn't been kept, uh, although the, the risk isn't as great. It is still a good thing to have because, I mean, even as we saw with the collapse of something like Mountain Sound, which was, you know, in part due to um, police decisions and the cost of that that weren't expected by the festival, these things could maybe be mitigated somewhat by these kind of schemes. Um and yeah, so there's stuff that was missed out on there, um, but importantly, it feels like the door is open. And when we look at how it's been received, uh, the the response has been overwhelmingly very, very positive from all stakeholders, which is, you know, kind of the, 
the measure of whether or not policy is good or not. Uh, so everybody that's involved contributed is very, very happy with what's come out. Um, and what this shows, you know, more than anything is that there is a renewed focus and intention from this government to actually prioritize arts and culture um, and put it at the forefront of policy decisions and fund it properly into the future. Um, so there's plenty of that uh, still to come and the the full distribution of money and costings is going to be uh, revealed later on when they do the budget in May. But we'll wrap up this very long music news by saying it's very good. It's very good to see uh, the, the focus back on the arts and this is going to flow into all aspects of it, visual arts, screen, television, music, mm. um, any, all all arts. It's it's really really important for us as a nation. If you listen to this show, you know we're pretty keen on it, um, and it is really really good to see it back in the focus. 